Hello friends, welcome to the Functional Nurse Practitioner Podcast. I'm a board-certified family nurse practitioner who specializes in women's health, utilizing both conventional and functional medicine strategies in order to provide a more comprehensive approach for optimal health. The current model of care in healthcare is very lacking, which led me down the road of functional medicine. Functional medicine is a systems biology approach which looks at uncovering the root cause for the symptoms we're having in order to allow for healing versus simply applying a Band-Aid to the situation. I believe we need an integrative approach of both conventional and functional medicine in order to provide the best care possible. I've been incorporating functional medicine practices within my gynecology practice and have seen phenomenal results. I believe we need to level up our healthcare system so women, all my ladies out there, can actually feel better. Just a quick disclaimer that this podcast is meant for educational purposes only and is not meant to diagnose or be a substitute for medical advice from your practitioner. Also, if you like what you hear on this show, I would be real appreciative if you would leave a review on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you're listening from and subscribe to the show. Okay, on to today's episode. Today, we are continuing the conversation about cortisol. I received great feedback last week regarding part one of our cortisol series. I really appreciate when you take the time to send me a DM on Instagram. Seriously, makes my day. We're going to focus on high cortisol in this episode. This is what I see most often in my practice. We're in a society of perpetual stress and overstimulation, so this is not surprising. We're going to zero in on signs and symptoms of high cortisol and what some of the triggers and mediators of high cortisol are. We're going to talk about the downstream effects of high cortisol. Then we're going to talk about the management of high cortisol. This will be a longer show than last week. I am ready. I have a big glass of water. I am well prepared. Whatever it is you guys are doing, if you're exercising, if you're driving, if you're just hanging out with me, let's lean into high cortisol. There are three stages of adrenal dysfunction, as outlined by Hans Salye, a brilliant endocrinologist and founder of the stress theory. Stage one is the arousal stage. This was previously called the alarm phase. This stage may be asymptomatic. In this stage, both cortisol and DHEA are elevated. DHEA is the precursor to testosterone. It is considered to be the anti-aging hormone, the longevity hormone. When we start to see DHEA decline, we enter into the adaptation stage. We may have mood swings, anxiety, or even depression. Stage 3 adrenal dysfunction is called the exhaustion stage. Both DHEA and cortisol are low. This is considered adrenal insufficiency, and fatigue and depression are the most common symptoms. What I see the most in my practice 
is both stage one and stage two, and oftentimes right in the middle of the two. Cortisol is high. They are symptomatic, so high anxiety, moodiness, hot flashes, weight gain, and the DHEA may be on the lower end of normal. Today we will focus on the first two stages of adrenal dysfunction. And since you're listening to this podcast, I suspect you may be symptomatic and would likely be between stage one and two or in stage two. One way to tell if you're in stage two is if you are easily fatigued after exercising. That is how I felt. I could do it, but I was more and more having difficulty recovering and felt a lot of pain afterwards. My DHEA was almost zero. That was the reason I cried when I saw my results. I know without a doubt this is reversible, and we will get to the management of high cortisol in a little bit. What are some of the signs and symptoms of having high cortisol? Irritability, high blood pressure, hot flashes, poor sleep, night sweats, fatigue, depression, migraines, brain fog, poor concentration, memory issues, this is a very long list, sugar cravings, difficulty recovering after exercise, heart disease, constipation or diarrhea, irregular menstrual cycles, low libido, erectile dysfunction, weight gain, particularly around the midsection. Many of these symptoms probably sound like menopause or perimenopause. Many of us might have some or most of these symptoms and not know that it could actually be our cortisol that is off, causing these symptoms. I run a lot of hormone panels in my practice. Many women are looking for answers to their symptoms, and an easy and relatively inexpensive test to run is a blood hormone panel, which of course is not the best measurement of hormones, but it is typically covered by insurance. They are shocked when their levels are normal. Oftentimes, you can have normal results, but there is still a hormone imbalance, and the usual findings, particularly with perimenopause, is estrogen dominance. If you missed episode one, all the way back to episode one, we talked in depth about estrogen dominance. I highly suggest you listen to it if you have not already. It can really open your eyes to many different things, but ultimately to how you can improve the way that you feel. It is my number one episode as well. When I saw my cortisol results, I wanted to blame it on my sex hormones. Oftentimes, I see we add hormones to the mix during perimenopause as a band-aid to our symptoms. We're having hot flashes, so let's start taking estrogen. I do not see the logic in this concept as we are oftentimes adding fuel to the fire. 
I do not want to go too far in the weeds today about perimenopause as we are talking about cortisol. I can get very hyped up, my friends. One of the things that really gets me going is suboptimal care. I have had so many women come to my practice that were basically ignored. The way that they felt, their symptoms, their goals disregarded. That drives me crazy. The easiest thing to do would be to apply a Band-Aid and move on to the next patient. When it comes to our highly complex hormonal system, we need to assess the full picture because otherwise we're not going to feel better. We may actually feel worse. Seeing my highly dysfunctional adrenals opened my eyes that I needed to make serious changes. There is no medication or supplement that can magically fix a dysfunctional lifestyle. And my lifestyle was severely dysfunctional. I spent many years of my life pushing my body past its limits with two-a-day workouts, calorie restriction, and very poor sleep. I was highly anxious, felt a tightness in my chest most days. Every little thing set me off. And I had great difficulty calming myself down once I became agitated. I was a real peach to be around. Just ask my husband. Oftentimes I see, especially with regards to women, we like to chalk these things up to middle age. It wasn't until I saw my results that I realized that these symptoms, irritability, moodiness, anxiety, insomnia, they are not a normal part of aging. And we can actually do something about it to feel better. What are some of the downstream effects of high cortisol? Chronic high levels of cortisol can cause intestinal permeability. We went in-depth about intestinal permeability. It was a two-part series, episodes seven and eight, definitely worth listening to if you have not, because intestinal permeability is impacted by more than just cortisol. We also can have an increase with lipopolysaccharides. Remember that these endotoxins go through the gut mucosa and start causing problems in our circulatory system. We don't want that. Cortisol decreases bone formation and can lead to osteoporosis. With chronically high levels of cortisol, we will see a massive disruption with other hormones in our bodies aside from insulin, like our thyroid hormone. This can then become a vicious cycle where the high cortisol decreases thyroid production, which then causes more cortisol production. Chronic high cortisol also inhibits the DHEA pathway, meaning that our testosterone and estrogens will be impacted. This can explain why high cortisol can cause low libido and hot flashes. We will also have less progesterone because in the steroidogenic pathway, cortisol is downstream from progesterone. So high stress and 
high cortisol will cause lower levels of progesterone, stimulation of aromatase, leading to estrogen dominance. Can you see the vicious cycle happening? High cortisol also compromises our immune system. Cortisol is normally anti-inflammatory and suppresses the immune system response. Chronic stress, however, can lead to immune system resistance, similar to the suppression of insulin leading to insulin resistance. This accumulation of our stress hormone leads to an increase in pro-inflammatory cytokines, which then further compromises our immune system response. I threw a new word at you, cytokines. Cytokines are an important part of our immune system. They are small proteins that play an integral role with the growth and activity of both blood cells and immune system cells. Cytokines also can help prevent cancer through communication with our cells, assisting with the death of abnormal cells. Pro-inflammatory cytokines, however, are involved in the up-regulation of our immune system response and are produced predominantly by activated macrophages. Pro-inflammatory cytokines also have a lot to do with chronic pain. When you think of chronic pain, think of inflammation. Let's talk a little bit about cortisol testing. There are several ways to test cortisol. Blood, saliva, or urine. I do not recommend checking a blood cortisol level as it does not provide the information needed to accurately assess our cortisol pattern. When looking at cortisol, remember from last week, it should be highest in the morning and then decline throughout the day and be at its lowest at night before you go to bed. If you have your blood level checked, we will not be able to see your diurnal pattern. Also, if you're having a blood test, you have to factor in the method of collection. Getting stuck with a needle can impact your results as well. I prefer salivary testing. This is a very easy method of collection. You don't have to drive to the lab and deal with needles. Urine testing is also very accurate. And we can then follow how cortisol is metabolized in the body, which can provide even more information for how our body is adapting to stressors. Most often, I use salivary testing. Though here lately, I have been running a more expanded hormone panel that looks at sex hormones and adrenals. This is a more expensive option, but gives a more comprehensive look. I am planning a show dedicated to the Dutch test, dried urine test for comprehensive hormones, with the addition of salivary testing, and am looking at bringing on another guest for that episode, so stay tuned for that. Getting back to salivary testing, you can have a four-point or a six-point test done. The four-point test will show your diurnal curve. 
This is the gold standard for assessing cortisol. It provides key information that can guide the plan of care moving forward. Looking at a six-point salivary test, however, is my preferred test of the two, as this also shows what is called the cortisol awakening response, or CAR for short. The addition of the CAR adds in vital information that may preempt diagnosable adrenal dysfunction. One of the things I love about functional medicine is that we do not wait for you to be diseased to address issues. In conventional medicine, if you have pre-diabetes, we watch it until you have diabetes and then we give you drugs. In functional medicine, we formulate a strategy to reverse the pre-diabetes. The CAR is a deeper look, more thorough look inside our adrenal function. We aren't just looking at the diurnal pattern, but also looking at the response cortisol has to us waking up. Remember last week, we talked about light hitting our retina, and then our pituitary gland releases adrenocorticotropic hormone, which then signals our adrenals to release cortisol. You know I hate the word normal, but sometimes I have to use it for things to make sense. A normal cortisol awakening response is around 50%, meaning the level of cortisol when we first wake up to the next measurement 30 minutes later shows an increase of the cortisol level by 50%. So we wake up roughly 30 minutes later, our cortisol rises, and that should be the highest level that cortisol is at for the day. When we have the added data of the car, we can see if our body is in a more stressed state, meaning the car will be elevated. So instead of 50%, maybe it's 200%. I've seen numbers over a thousand percent. If we have marked elevation of cortisol when we get up, how might we feel? Anxious, nauseous, wired. We may have an overwhelming feeling of dread for what's to come that day. A blunted car, however, is likely an adaptation of chronic stress. We may be burnt out or severely depressed with both elevated and blunted cortisol awakening responses. We may have depression. This is important to note because current models of care for depression are utilizing a one-size-fits-all approach. And if the root cause of our depression is actually cortisol dysfunction, we may not get the right treatment with the conventional medicine approach. If our car is blunted, how might we feel? Fatigued, difficulty waking up. Maybe we hit the snooze button every day, multiple times, and never quite feel rested in the morning. If our cortisol response is blunted, we may have pain. Remember that cortisol is anti-inflammatory. Think about what cortisol does to our immune system. It suppresses the immune system and modulates the way it responds. 
Obtaining a cortisol awakening response can be an integral part of managing adrenal issues. As there is a better understanding of what our adaptive response is, how are we managing stress? Initially, we may have an elevated car. We're on high alert for the stressors of the day. If our car is blunted, our body may have already adapted to perpetual stressors and blunts that response. This is not what we want to see. We will get more into low cortisol next week. Looking at the other points throughout the day can provide great insight into a typical day in your life. This measurement is impacted over time and is important to understand when we get to the management of high cortisol. Let's say your car is within normal range, but your mid-morning cortisol is very high. What could that mean? Cortisol is signaled as a result of a stressor. Remember last week, we talked about the four stressors, as outlined by Dr. Gilliams. The threat or perceived threat or stress, circadian disruption, blood sugar dysregulation, and inflammatory signaling. Our mid-morning cortisol may be elevated because we skip lunch and our blood sugar drops. One of cortisol's main functions is the management of blood sugar. Our survival depends on homeostasis. We may be skipping lunch because we are dieting and heard somewhere that skipping meals can induce fat burning. Our body will prioritize glucose. Our body's preferred energy source is glucose. Glucose is a quick burning energy source, very necessary when running from a tiger. Your body does not know if the threat is real or if you are simply hungry. Oftentimes, if we are overweight and we go to the doctor, they tell us to eat less and move more. I know when I was at my heaviest weight, roughly 70 pounds more than I weigh today. That is what my doctor told me. I eat more now and move less than I did then. Another reason why it is so important to see the patient sitting in front of you and understand their individual circumstances in order to guide the intervention. Maybe you eat lunch, but you work through lunch and you do not get an adequate break, downtime, necessary downtime, and this is impacting your cortisol. I can't tell you how many times I have heard this in my practice. We always seem to need to do more. We need to push ourselves past our threshold. We get on this cycle of dysfunction and do not see the downstream effects. The reason why we need to care about chronically elevated cortisol levels is because our risk of chronic diseases increases. Our metabolic health is directly impacted by adrenal dysfunction. We become more insulin resistant with chronically high cortisol. If we are not looking at the big picture, we may end up with a life-changing disease. 
if we are not looking at the big picture, our symptoms will likely worsen. Chronically high cortisol is catabolic. Cortisol breaks down tissue in our body to get glucose for the needed energy. I don't want muscle atrophy and a depletion of my protein stores because of chronic stress. Muscle loss is a key contributor to morbidity and mortality. We need muscle mass for longevity. The science nerd in me was very fascinated with this concept and how I used to work out so hard. Gym membership, pushing myself until complete exhaustion. I always wondered why I did not see any increase in my muscle mass. It actually made me work out harder. Now, I'm of the mindset of workout smarter. If we see an elevated mid-afternoon cortisol, we have to ask, why? What is going on in your life around that time on a typical day? I always educate my patients about cortisol and that it is impacted over time, but this concept is a difficult one to grasp. It is very complex and has many contributing factors. I had a patient who was very surprised with her markedly elevated mid-afternoon cortisol. She told me around that time every day she is so stressed out, overwhelming responsibilities, stressors, and that mid-afternoon was the time of day she dreaded the most. But that day, the day she did the testing, she felt great. She did the test on a weekend and the day was uneventful. I reminded her of our previous conversation, the effect of chronic stress on the diurnal pattern. This realization, the impact of the daily stressors on her life, this opened her eyes. This insight was the motivation she needed to change her life. Knowing that her body had adapted to the perpetual stress cycle, and she was at an increased risk for disease, she changed her life. Let's shift our attention to the management of high cortisol. It's important to note that if you do not have cortisol testing to know what your diurnal pattern is, it can be difficult to ascertain if you truly have high cortisol. If you were tested, I hope you are working with a seasoned practitioner who will help guide you. I do feel these interventions we are going to discuss are very helpful if you have known high cortisol or suspect it due to high stress, poor sleep, moodiness, etc. I am going to preface this segment with an important key factor regarding interventions. There is not a pill or a supplement that will correct cortisol issues as a solo intervention. Many of us want that quick fix. Give me the pill, that's all I need. Even in conventional medicine, we may think the pill works because we get the desired result, lower blood pressure, normal A1C levels, etc. But all these medications are doing are applying a band-aid to your issue. They are not reversing the condition. Taking an adrenal supplement, there are marketed adrenal supplements out there all over Instagram and TikTok. 
they will not correct a dysfunctional adrenal system on their own. Some strategic supplements can be helpful. Remember, the word is supplement. But for you to see change, to feel better, to reverse the adrenal dysfunction, we need to address your lifestyle. You guys knew this was coming. Have I ever not addressed lifestyle? What you do in your life is the most impactful method of management of any condition. Adrenal, hormonal, heart disease, even cancer. We talked about having high cortisol causes high blood sugar. We need to look closely at the foods we typically eat in a day and how they correlate with the times our cortisol is elevated. If you have an elevated mid-morning cortisol, are you skipping breakfast? This could be a key factor with the elevation of cortisol. Not only can skipping meals play a role, but also the actual foods we are eating. If you are consuming foods high in sugar, you will have a glucose spike and subsequent drop in blood sugar. Do you feel tired after eating? Maybe about one to two hours afterwards? This could be a sign that your meal was not balanced. I typically recommend aiming for 30 grams of protein per meal. Having adequate fat in our diet is also crucial. Fats provide your body with the fatty acids it needs to produce new cells. Fats are necessary for hormonal health also. If we do not consume fat, we will not absorb many key vitamins necessary for survival and optimal health. The fat source matters, of course. Avocados, nuts and seeds, fish, eggs, beef are some excellent sources of healthy fats. I do recommend extra virgin cold-pressed olive oil, mostly in the form of topping our foods rather than cooking with it. It's important to look for cold-pressed to ensure that heat was not used for extraction, which could degrade the oil. Fiber is also important, and I recommend at least 25 to 35 grams of fiber per day. Fiber has so many benefits, but with regards to cortisol, it provides our microbiome with the phytonutrients it needs to then give us postbiotics like butyrate, which is a key player with our gut health, which then, of course, affects our brain. Sleep. Sleep is a crucial component for our adrenal function. We talked in-depth about sleep in Episode 9. We talked about the circadian rhythm and other factors of sleep that are detrimental to our health. We know that one of the stressors that causes us to engage the sympathetic nervous system is circadian disruption. A sleep routine is key for high cortisol management. We have much more power than we think regarding our sympathetic nervous system activation. If we practice mindfulness and focus on our breathing and do this consistently, we can train our brains to switch over to the parasympathetic system and our cortisol will come down. 
I have been working on this for almost a year. I'm not going to lie and say that it's easy to start doing this. Definitely not at first. I mentioned earlier that when I would get all riled up, I had such difficulty calming down. I would tell myself that I simply couldn't calm down. What I've learned is that with that attitude, I would not succeed. If, in fact, I wanted to calm down. If that was my goal, I gave this a lot of thought. What was I gaining from staying in a constant state of high stress? What was I losing? Was my constant state of stress impacting my immune system? We know the answer to that, yes. I thought about the relationship cortisol has with my immune system, with my autoimmune conditions. When I put this together, I couldn't just exist anymore in a state of stress. I knew that my actions, lack of actions, frankly, my excuses for my inability to change, they were impacting my body's immune responses, and I wanted to be on a different road. I did not want to continue to feel such pain when I walked, to have my head hurt so bad that oftentimes all I could do was cry. I thought about all of the things I had learned about cortisol, about the sympathetic nervous system. I thought, what could I do to tap into my parasympathetic system? What could I do to bring myself into a state of peace when my mind was racing at 3 a.m.? When I would normally get out of bed and go read journal articles or get on my tablet. So, what did I do? I started breathing. Slow, deep breaths. I utilized 478 breathing. Listen to episode 9 if you have no idea of what I'm talking about. What I found is that after about 3 to 4 rounds of this breathing, my heart rate decreased. My body was more relaxed. This didn't take months to work. This worked on day one. What does take time is for our body to become trained. Trained to, a res- trained to respond to stress differently. Trained to when we get that initial rise in our blood pressure and racing heart, when we start to think, oh great, here we go again. We will begin our breathing and we will switch over to the parasympathetic system so quickly that cortisol won't get signaled. That is the power of our minds. That is the power we have with managing our high cortisol. I now believe that nothing is more important than my state of mind. Whatever comes at me, and I know how hard life can be at times, but whatever is causing you stress in life, whatever it is, nothing is worth perpetuating adrenal dysfunction because what good are we going to be if we are so diseased that we cannot function well anymore? The end result of adrenal dysfunction is chronic disease. I chose a different path, and so can you. Journaling. I have seen so many women who have told me that they cannot break the stress cycle have great success with journaling. I call it a worry journal. If you find that you have a hard time clearing your mind before bed, or if you wake up during the night and can't stop thinking about all of the things you should be worrying about, 
a worry journal may be helpful. If we set aside a block of time every day, I feel earlier in the day may be more helpful when cortisol should be higher rather than right before bed to start thinking about stressful thoughts. Maybe take five to 10 minutes and write down the things that are bothering you. Then when you have those thoughts enter your mind throughout the day, you can remind yourself you've already thought about those stressors and leave them until the next day when you write in your journal. Obviously, this is something that takes practice. Just like everything else in life that we want to succeed at, we need to practice this type of behavior change. If you think it sounds ridiculous, try it. What do you have to lose? Exercise. While extreme exercise can actually play a role in high cortisol, moderate exercise can be very beneficial. One of the things I love the most about exercise is that it improves my mood. If you're new to exercise, even five minutes in the morning, five minutes of stretching, yoga, weight training, five minutes can dramatically shift our mindset and help to lower our cortisol. If you know that the afternoon is your most stressful time of day, maybe you had cortisol testing that showed this, or maybe you just feel stressed around four or five o'clock every day, work a short routine into your day around that time. If you have more time, take more time. One of the things I love to do is walk. I didn't always love this. I started doing this because I knew the research was there showing the benefit of walking. So I thought, what do I have to lose? I especially love walking in the woods. I can't tell you how many days when I was practicing this lifestyle change, I would get home from work and take my dog for a walk in the woods. I live on five acres and I love my woods. I would do a few laps on the trails in the back and over time, That feeling in my chest, that tightness around 5 p.m. went away. Caffeine. Caffeine can greatly impact your cortisol. We are all different and we metabolize caffeine differently. I drink green tea and also matcha. I recommend getting your caffeine from either coffee or tea or matcha rather than soda or energy drinks. The high sugar or sugar alternatives in those drinks mix with the caffeine and can cause much higher cortisol levels. The time of day that you have your caffeine also matters. If you're going for a second cup of coffee and it's noon, and you have a lot of trouble winding down when you're getting ready for bed, it's something to think about. I often recommend a food journal for a few days. This can be helpful so you can connect the dots in your own life. Alcohol. We have to talk about alcohol because it plays a major role in our health. Alcohol is not only a toxin, but it also activates the HPA axis, causing an increase in cortisol. If you already have issues with high cortisol, I recommend keeping your alcohol consumption to a minimum. Let's talk about adaptogens. I am a huge fan of adaptogens. After all, 
as their name implies, they help us to adapt. I love ashwagandha. It is probably my favorite adaptogen. Studies show it can be helpful with all three stages of adrenal dysfunction. So I do feel it's one of the safer adaptogens to try. There is also research showing it can help with thyroid function, one of the reasons I started using it long ago. There's some research showing it can actually cause insomnia. I have never seen this with patients, but since it's a possibility, I always warn my patients that this could happen. I typically recommend using it in the morning anyhow. There are supplements of ashwagandha you can buy or you can purchase powders. I like using organic ashwagandha powder and mix it into my daily smoothie. I always recommend starting one new supplement or medication at a time as you need to look for possible reactions. I typically recommend a lower dose to start and taking it only once a day to see how you do. I still only take it in the morning and have had great success with it. I have also tried passionflower. Passionflower is somewhat stronger of an adaptogen. I thought it was too strong for me, so I stopped using it. I was feeling fatigued, almost sedated. With high cortisol, we want to calm down, but I felt passionflower calmed me down too much. Green tea. Green tea has been shown to be very beneficial with high cortisol. I recommend drinking it earlier in the day. Green tea contains theanine, an amino acid shown to improve mood and reduce anxiety. There are dedicated theanine supplements available, but it is very easy to get with green tea. Also mushrooms. Mushrooms have high amounts of theanine also. Valerian. Valerian is not only helpful with depression, but also with sleep. There is valerian tea, which I tried, but I'm not so much of a hot tea drinker, especially at night. You can buy valerian capsules. I've taken valerian and have had great results with it. I also found it helped with hot flashes. Interesting, huh? Let's think through this. High cortisol, less DHEA pathway, therefore less testosterone and less estrogen. I'm in perimenopause. My hormones are jumping all over the place. I have found valerian helps keep me stable. And trust me, stable Tara is way better than unstable Tara. In all seriousness, supplements can be very beneficial. But the important thing to consider is that what works for me may not work for you and vice versa. Supplements alone won't work if you also are not doing the lifestyle changes. I wanted to mention DHEA. There are DHEA supplements that you can take. These supplements are actually over-the-counter. You can pick them up on Amazon or just about anywhere. Remember, DHEA is a hormone. It will have downstream effects. I have a huge issue with being able to purchase hormones without even working with a practitioner. I do not see this as safe practice. To be honest, it took me many months, but I tried DHEA supplements. It got in my head my almost zero level of DHEA and thinking about its anti-aging properties. 
I took it for a couple of weeks and started to have leg cramps, even some mild leg swelling. I also started having menstrual cramps, which since balancing my hormones and working through my estrogen dominance, I typically do not have anymore. I thought about this. I thought about DHEA turning into testosterone and aromatizing into estrogen. Friends, obviously I know this. I'm in gynecology. I could not see clearly because all I could focus on was aging. I was upregulating my estrogen, and my downstream effects were the same as what I had before with estrogen dominance. I also thought about the steroidogenic pathway, and that DHEA is going to be lower with continued high cortisol, but with managing the cortisol, DHEA can also naturally rise. I will be repeating my testing. I am actually going to do the Dutch Plus test I talked about earlier so I can see all my hormone pathways and metabolites and see if I have elevated risks for cancer. I would caution you to not jump straight to hormones. Focus on lifestyle first and add in adaptogens or supplements. See where that gets you. Make sure you are working with someone who can help you through this. There are many other supplements and adaptogens that can be beneficial, but many have interactions with medications and should be monitored by your practitioner. I don't want to flood you with a long list as this can be very overwhelming. As I always say, the brand matters, the dose, and the length of time you take it. Usually, you are not going to see a result instantly, but taken over time, you may see great benefit. That is all I have for today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I know this was a long one and also a very heavy topic. There was a lot brought up to think about. Know that if you're having any of the symptoms, feelings that were discussed today, you are not alone. I recommend finding somebody that you can work with to help you through these issues. If you're not following me over on Instagram, the functional nurse practitioner, be sure to follow me over there. And if you have questions, things you would like to see on the show, hit me up over there with a DM. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see you next week. Love you guys.